Hi everyone, this is Drew Collins, Lila's partner in crime here at Key Ideas. You're about to hear episode number 34, which is part two of Lila's inspiring conversation with Linda Liebeck Robinson. If you're just tuning in, head back to episode 33 to catch part one. As always, you'll find all of the resources and materials mentioned in each episode at lilavis.com slash key ideas. Now, on to the episode. Hi, this is Leela Viss, and I'm the host of Key Ideas. In the first episode with Linda, she opened with this statement. I think when we're squeezed to the point where everything that is familiar is not there, we have to reach out and find things to hold on to. In the second half of our conversation, Linda explains how her imagination was squeezed out of her experience living on an internet-starved island inhabited by the cast of The Deadliest Catch and where coffee shops are non-existent. It spilled out in waves through her composing, her teaching, her drawing, and photography. Opportunities that have come my way as a photographer are so coincidental. And staring out my window in the office, I was watching the sun setting and the moon. Um, you know, I, I think it maybe it was the sun. It wasn't the moon. It was the sun. The last fingers of light that come down at mm-hmm. the sunset. And my office looks out over Unalaska Bay, and the fingers of light, the crepuscular rays, were coming down. And as the light touched the water, a whale. And a humpback whale reached up. They do they do this thing. There's a breaching. A breaching is when they come full out of the water and it's just, ah, I never get tired of that. But this one came straight up out of the water as if it was reaching for heaven with its mm. the point of its nose. Just reaching up three quarters of its body and then slipped straight back down into the water. And my camera was up at that time and I got that picture. Mm. Um, and these experiences, these photos that I have, some of them are so much, you know, like once in a lifetime shot. People will say, oh, it was a once in a lifetime shot. I really feel like the more I share the photos without expectation of reward. Um, now, granted, yes, I do. I do sell prints. That's great. But I have to know that I can't clutch my hands, my fists around them. That when I share on Facebook, I hope people don't print them and take them or whatever. But if they bring them joy, then I think I'm doing something right. And I really believe that because I give them, that's why I get these once in a lifetime shots. I really believe it's God saying here, that was a really nice shot you gave those people. Let me give you one that's pretty special today. And I do believe that way. And I guarantee you, when you see a photo that I've taken on Facebook, that's particularly nice. I have said out loud, thank you. I am not just saying that for you, for your benefit. It's true. I will out loud, I will say thank you. And, um, and I think that we have to share beauty and the more we share it, the more we heal ourselves and Mm -hmm. things are tough living up here. Uh, but, and there is a lot of healing to be done, but I think there's a lot of healing around this world that needs to be done, Mm -hmm. but focusing on the beauty, the more we can focus on it, the more I believe we have it in return. And I, I believe that 100%. What's interesting is that you're already a creative. You write songs, you play, 
you sing, you're a songwriter, uh, everything that I would have, uh, basically your background would have been one I would have died for. I, I really, can I come back again and be Linda? That's what I'm thinking. Because <laughs> you had all those rich experiences before you were enveloped into the classical world. And so I just think that makes you such a strong musician and a strong creator because you've had so much colorful experiences. I mean, up with people, oh my goodness, I would have, yeah. Because I really wanted to be a dancer, but in my community, you didn't dance. So there's a lot of things that I wish I could have done. So thank you for letting us all live vicariously through your experiences. So what I'm wondering then is why did you turn to photography when you already had all these other creative options at your fingertips? Probably because I'm a visual as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always liked taking pictures. And, um, but I think they, they talk about a spark animal in birding. They'd say, what's your spark bird? And a spark bird is one that when you see it, you're, you just, you light up and you say, this is it. I want to learn about more about birds because of this one bird. And for me, it's the Northern flicker, you know? Um, and I think that there may have been a spark sunset or might've been a spark whale or something. I think it, I know what it was. I know what it was. I can tell you what it was. Okay. My husband and I were this 19 foot skiff out on Alaska Bay and he had his camera. Digital cameras had just come out. Now you and I both grew up with yes. you know, Kodachrome where we had to go to the grocery store and send in our film and hope and pray that we got one. Well, suddenly we had this amazing freedom of being able to take as many as we wanted and choose from them. Well, we had our first digital camera and we were out on the skiff. The boys were probably two and three years old and a whale breached right in front of us, maybe 50 yards. Um, it was so big that it filled the entire um, lens of the camera and it breached and it breached and it breached and we both got pictures and they were so breathtaking and it was such a high to be able to experience this force of nature and to be able to go home and capture it and look at it on the computer screen that was really my spark moment i think i, I think it was combined with the convenience of technology mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I am not an Ansel Adams. I always dreamed of going into a dark room. That was a fantasy of mine. I would love to go into dark room. Well, by the time it really hit me that I love to take pictures and that I had a good eye for it. Um, dark room was a thing of the, mostly a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I got into photography is just um, because I lived in a place that was so extraordinary and realized, and then we had social media and I realized that the pictures I take um are not normal they're not what no, usually people no. see. and so sharing the joy and i'm an empath and i think because of my loneliness um i uh really i i really held on to the social media and i you know it's really it's really important that we not become addicted to it but it was a source of a little bit of survival for me the interaction because i didn't have it here you know i don't have colleagues here i don't have friends to meet for tea like yes. there some friends here, but, um, you know, my tribe, um, uh, the people who, um, you know, I, my family are all in Washington and Oregon and around the country, but they're not here. So social media 
and the photography, you know, was sort of a bridge for that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about your background and how that translates now into your piano students. It was interesting that <clears throat> you said after COVID, your teaching changed. And <clears throat> excuse me, how do you think that's going to change your teaching? It sounds like number one, you were maybe you were had explored teaching by rote before, but now you're seeing that as a surefire way to jumpstart lessons and and to get them hooked. Would you say that's true? Yes, yes absolutely. Um, my pedagogy classes in college were, were critical. I'm, I can't believe that I'm so fortunate that I got to take pedagogy in college because I didn't really even, I just took it because Jill told me it was a good idea, you know? Right. Um, and because I did love, I was teaching on the side. Um, teaching, I, I for many years, I've used the methodology because I felt I needed to. I wanted to make sure that my students had a well-rounded background, that they um, had the right tech, the right method. Mm-hmm. And it, over, I think COVID has released for me a lot of the frustration. And I don't mean frustrated like I was tearing my hair out of it. I love what I do and I love my students. But there, I think that there was a seed in me that was a little bit unsatisfied because um, the parents would say, I want my children to play like you. And I would do my best to teach them through the, the Faber and the Alfred and the Hal Leonard. And I would try to use the right methods and I would try to everything. And I realized, guess what? I didn't have that. I had Lila Fletcher. Or should I say Layla Fletcher? I think you should call it Layla Fletcher. Yes, I know. I don't know how you say her name, but I re- my mom was a piano teacher and she had all her books. So, so yeah, mm-hmm, I'm there. I- um, my students don't grow up playing in the church. My students don't grow up going into up with people. Yeah. My students don't have a choir. My students don't have the county fair to go play and sing their songs. And my so my experience is so different. And so I realized I have to pull back. I'm trying to control something that mm-hmm. um, that maybe granted is is my best effort. And yes, of course, it is authentic, but. I have to enable them to create their own experiences. Mm. And, and, you know, I see so many of what my, you know, our colleagues are doing in the lower 48. We do not simply do not work. We're here on this Island. Um, The kids, if you go through the high school, a lot of times you'll go down the hallways and you'll hear five different ukuleles being played at the same Mm. time, which is cool. We don't have a choir. We have, uh, you know, we have band at the school that is or isn't right now, you know, yeah. with COVID. Um, Let's go back to the ukuleles a minute, because I think that's what you're finding is that <clears throat> look at how easy it is to pick up that instrument, strum three chords, sing along, and you're making music. And right. for so long, piano methods have been, oh, you have to learn middle C, you have to learn all of this and wait, no, 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 can't learn any of those chord things until you know everything else. And so, you know, if we could jump in and do the ukulele approach, ukulele, I should say, approach. I know, ukulele. Yes, yeah, ukulele. Yes, I have a Hawaiian living with us, so I'm, I'm trying to speak Hawaiian as correctly as possible. That, to me, is the freedom that I am trying to use in my studio as well. Do you think that that's where you're going? That's where you're headed? 100%. I know that I purchased a couple of songs off, off uh, teachers, pay teachers, I think it was, um, because I was lazy. Um, I was, I, I, 
know very well that I could write Spider-Man. I know I can do this, but I just, I am so busy with $1.99 to pay for somebody else Spider-Man for me. And, um, and it was the letters, you know, um, A, C, 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 D, D, F, D, F, C, C, D, D, right. Or whatever. I'm probably even singing off tune. Off tune. Well, the thing is, as, as I looked at, at, at um, my Christopher yesterday and I was with the mom sitting there, we're all smiling. And I said, now you see this page here. I said, there are piano teachers that think you should be able to read that. All you see is letters. ECC what? And you see these black and white keys on the piano. And already, how do you process a letter or a dot on a page? And oh my goodness, this big, long keyboard of 88 black and white keys. And, and we as teachers for so many years would go, oh, well, just look at the page. See, this is, the, this, is this note here. This is this note here. And thinking, well, why can't you get it? Because some students get it like that. Well, guess what? I tried to put myself in the mind of a six-year-old. Of course, we all do. I mean, I, it's not like suddenly I'm, you know, I've thought about this over the years, but now it's even more critical to me that I just assume. I'm just going to assume. And if you happen to understand that dot on the page right away, I think that's awesome. But I am not going to have any kind of a judgment or expectation. Mm. Or I want you to feel these keys. I want you to put your hand on the piano and feel these keys. I made Christopher lean against the side of the piano and I said, okay, get ready. It might be a little bit startling. Okay. Are we ready? And mom's kind of laughing in the corner. Okay, here we go. And I played the Chopin prelude, you know, and he just jumped and then he giggled because it was loud. And I said, what do you feel? He said, it's moving. It's, it's like vibrating. And I said, yeah, that's what sound is. Mm -hmm. Starting from that very, very beginning of the tactile, this instrument, it, it vibrates. Okay, maybe we have an electric piano. That's fine. Or electric keyboard. Um, that's fine too, if we're teaching on that. But just close your eyes and feel what these keys feel like under your fingers. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put a piece of paper with a dot in front of you and say, okay, now student, you need to learn this dot. I want you to feel mm-hmm. these keys under your fingers. Close your eyes mm-hmm. and feel what it feels like when you when you press your fingers down. Dr. Anita Collins is, has a new book out, and I cannot tell you the name of it right now. I should because I'm reading it. But one of the strongest ways we learn is through sound. And so what you're talking about is really counterintuitive to all of our pedagogy experience in the past. And I think that's where we all struggle. We've always learned it, learned everything to do it, uh, what to follow a certain method of teaching. And whenever we don't do that, there's this, which I don't like to use the word guilt, but many of us probably use or feel guilty because we're not doing it the old school way and we're trying out new things. But I think it's, you know, we have to tell use what science is telling us. Science is telling us that sound comes first. Sound matters. So I love the way you're approaching this. And I love that idea of leaning against the piano, just like Beethoven, right? That's how he was listening to him, his, himself and his pieces because he couldn't hear anymore. It was through the vibration. So that's brilliant. Well, you know, I, well, just like this morning when you and I began speaking and my stepdaughter was sending baby picture after baby picture. And it reminds me that babies learn by touch. Exactly. They learn by sound. They learn the touch of your hand. You know, how does it feel when you're touching them? 
from the very beginning, they're absorbing the way we touch them and the way that we, the tone of our voice, they feel the vibration of our voice. And you know, they'll reach up and touch our hand or they'll touch our throat. They're feeling the vibrations. And that is how I want to focus. I, and, and I always have done that whole vibration thing. I've done it for, since beginning, you know, someone probably did it with me, but even more so, you know, the closing your eyes, the feeling it, the feel this instrument, the, to not be afraid of it. And yay for the students who aren't afraid from the beginning. That's great. That's great. And I welcome them and love them just, to, I mean, they're all, but to be able to say to all of them, the one who comes in, who really, really wants it, but is a little bit scared, just close your eyes. Mm, nice. Just and there's that satisfaction of them when they walk out the door too. Hey, I can play Spider-Man. It's not like, I Hey, I recognize middle C or now I know what a half note is. It's I can play something. I can do something at the piano. And I think that's going to be the key for all of us to be keeping our students long-term is to make sure that they walk out the door saying, I can, I can do this. So I'm wondering, how do they catch on to Linda's vibrations as a creator? How do you spread the goodness of your own creativity to your students? Do you have, do you always have them create something at every lesson do you have people that ask you specifically, hey, can you help me write a song? Does it come organically or do you spend time just with composing for a couple of weeks? Can you explain what, how you craft creativity into your lesson plans? Well, in the times that we aren't overwhelmed with trying to get ready for a recital, um, and this is something that has... Um, Again, you know, so much of what we're talking about is in a period of transformation. Um, but I know that we'll talk about musical form and talk about um, talk about how you take patterns and you repeat them at different places and you make variations um, to be able to say, all right, um, I want you to play this line of music, but I want you to change it a little bit just for right now, just for just for now. Mm -hmm. And to be able to um, take uh, something that um, has already been that uh, just a, a Bach. I don't really teach a lot of Bach. I should admit, you know. But you know, sometimes in the beginning, in the beginning, uh -huh. I do, and I love Bach. But I just, <sighs> I'm so busy. Anyway, I have the things that I am familiar with and that I love, and right. and there you go. That's what we. Um, do. But I'll just say, okay, so, um, so here's this one line of music, and play this one just with one thing, just one one hand, just one mm -hmm. hand. Let's not make this mm -hmm. just one hand. And I just want you to play that. Okay, great. Now I want you to change it a little bit. How would you change it if you were going to change it? And so that's one of the things that I would do is that change, change that piece. And then, um, you know, writing, I have so many scores of manuscript paper and we're kind of turning into digital kids and digital, not online, but digital, mm -hmm. you know, on yeah. our iPads. And so I am just getting to know some of the digital programs. Um, 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 note. Note flight. No, note flight. Not note. No. Nope. It's okay. not. It's, um, it's a different one that I can just draw the notes in. Um, I think note flight is internet based, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's not one that I use. Oh, Notion? Um, mm. Yes. That's it. Is it Notion? Okay. That's it. It's Notion because I can use it offline. Um, I see other ones that I like a lot better, but I can't. Right. I just can't. Okay. You know, 
And even as it is getting a parent to have a student that has an iPad here, you know, every kid down in the lower 48 has an iPad, mm-hmm. not here. Mm-hmm. Because what do iPads do? They update. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And that's expensive. <laughs> I had an update once that cost me $1,100 oh. because my computer wasn't, it would update and then drop, update and then drop because the internet oh. is so slow. I was not using Optimera. We're on Optimera right now. Okay. My, you know, Emmett, Emmett's. Yes. Yes. We're on Emmett's right we now. We like Emmett. Yes. But, uh, yes. The, uh, the um, Telalaska, and it would upload, then drop, upload and drop. And so I thought, I'll just leave it on all night long. Oh. Maybe when it's slower, maybe when no, the less people are using it, I'll be able to finish my update on my computer. Well, it updated and dropped all night long and the bill came in and it was $1,100. So when we talk about using apps and lessons and things like that, we just, I'm stuck. You know, a couple of the kids. That's okay too, you know, how, because now you have to be savvy in a new way. And, Mm -hmm. and I do think you, like you said, necessity is the mother of invention. So what do you do? How do you, what kind of workarounds has Linda found? Well, um, I, there have been many occasions when they will learn their own piece by ear mm-hmm. and then I will bring them up into my office as you're seeing my office right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we, um, there have been several students that I would teach them how to, um, engrave it onto Sibelius. Okay. So this is your piece. And, uh, after doing the crossing the distance book that I just handed out, I realized it's been a little while since we've done one with the students. And that is my biggest, biggest number one, number one goal for this fall is that we are going to do this again. Uh, we will, I have two books completely uh, and two actually recordings. We actually professionally recorded and had professionally mastered two CDs of um, student compositions that needs to be resurrected. COVID has just required me to, to take away so many of the things, the obligatory things that I was doing in my teaching and just say, stop, stop, get back to, get back to this unique thing that I have and not try to form it to a, a method. So, um, having the students write their own pieces teaching them how to notate it on Sibelius. And this is something when you and I are speaking, um, I know that there will be some colleagues out there that say, gosh, that's something that I don't have or don't Mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are those that do. So there are ways of writing your music down so that you can have it be printable. Um, And with Notion or as in your case, Note Flight, Mm -hmm. there are ways Mm -hmm. that we can do it. For me, it's Sibelius. What's interesting is writing your pieces out. Yeah. Well, number one, my students usually use a chicken scratch form first, meaning whatever works for them, that's how they remember their piece. And that works. And yes, some of them will never, sometimes I don't have them write it down. It's a piece. It's, you know, has a beginning, a middle and an end, but it's not written down. But during COVID, it was interesting because I didn't know what I wanted. Well, you know, I was just kind of planning and I wanted to extend lessons through the summer last summer because I knew everyone was stuck online. And so I did a unit on composition. And we used NoteFlight and it worked wonderfully because we could see, we could share the screen and see what was going on, how there was, how they were notating the piece. I could coach them. So it was interesting how it shut you down 
And actually, it opened up a huge door for me because I could use the online platform like NoteFlight and show them how to notate their piece. And it was so much fun because now they've come back and more students have written their own pieces in NoteFlight because they know how to use it. So it it is interesting how you know things can change one way or the, another um, through a pandemic, you know, that forces us into a corner. Absolutely. I, I do need to sort of clarify. Um, they do do the chicken scraps. They do. Okay. I mean, I, yes. we, we do do but, that. Yeah. When it comes to them playing, um, you know, it, 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 three weeks later, or a month later, they can't always read that chicken scratch, right. exactly. so, which, is why, which is why I try to, you know, get them into the office and, and get them to write it yeah. out. And because that, that's what I say to them. Like, if you like this, you want to write it down so you don't forget it. Someone right. is interested. I'm, I'm holding a course about composing, which I won't go into right now. But someone was saying, well, I don't know any of that technology. And I just want to compose. I'm like, well, okay. But if you want your students to compose, and if you want them to be able to notate it, the standard is to know how to notate it in a format, an industry standard format. You know, it's we can't just go by just the written form on a staff with writing our own treble clef and bass clef, correct? Right. So and now how, how to, oh, say that again. Good. Oh, how many students do we have that just want to write music and don't want to do anything else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just want to, well, what does that mean? Well, I want to write music. Okay. Like write it down. No, this I just teach me how to write music. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I I equate it to you can use words beautifully, but unless you know how to read them and write them down on paper, you're going to be limited mm-hmm. making pronouns and print. You know, so is there? Let's go there then, because you are a composer, but also a songwriter. And I think those are two similar things, but they're also different because you're also dealing dealing with lyrics and a slightly different approach to how you play the piano as well. So when someone wants to come and learn how to write a song from you, how do you you approach that? Um, Well, if they've got lyrics, um, I'm trying to think of the, it's been, now it's been a little bit, a little while since I've had a songwriter. Um, but I know that what my process is, they'll come in and say, well, I've got this song, I've got some words and we'll say, well, let's, let's put this together in a form. And um, the very, 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 very simplest would be like, Mary had a little lamb as fleece as white as snow. Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb sure to go. Okay. Now, if you listen to pop music, it's a lot different than that. They have inflections on words like the, like I was growing up, you would never use an inflection on the, mm-hmm. I'm going to the store. <laughs> <You know>? uh-huh. <laughs> Wait a minute. They completely throw the rules out the window, but you know, okay. I will say that I will be a little bit old fashioned and they can go from there with their lyrics. Right. But to try to get them to understand what, what are you trying to say? What's the most powerful thing that you're trying to say? Are you trying to say that um, it's dark? Or are you trying to say that you feel better? Because either one is fine, but which one do you want to talk about? Or when you're going up the stairs, I'm going up the stairs. It's not going to be, I'm going up the stairs, uh-huh. right? Yes. So you got to have, and and their eyes will go, oh, 
oh, I'm going up to the sky, right? Uh-huh. Or I'm going down. You, 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 the lyrics will often match where the melody is going. I also talk about, well, when they're even when they're writing a melody, now bum, 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 that's one thing. But I say, well, when you're singing the song, is it one that your voice can use? You know, sometimes they'll have these intervals that are just so wild um, that that are hard for the ear to uh, be comfortable with. Um, the reason I'm hesitating is because we have to be free to write whatever we're feeling. Well, um, just I don't want to say well, yeah. us to make sense. Right. As a you know, side we note, can't, we can't, we can't, yes. Oh, what I was going to say is that somewhere starts with an octave. So right. what you're saying is there's always exceptions to the rule, but when you listen to Taylor Swift, it is seconds, maybe a skip here and there. And right. that's probably because that's our voices kind of naturally do that. We just move by steps and maybe a few skips here and there. Would you say that's true? Which is, yes, absolutely. Which is, yeah, why some of the old classics with all their intervals and their theory um, yeah. are so, so classic. But um, yeah, you know, especially when they're beginning, well, this is something that you can sing because they're not going to be singing this. You know, they can't, um, I mean, they, they might be able to. I, I want to give them something that they can take and grow with, mm. not something that is constrictive. But we talk about melody as something that um, I've said, you know, one of the reasons why melody repeats itself. Now, it doesn't have to be the one note samba. It doesn't have to be da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But the reason why we have something that repeats, as I said, because our ear hooks onto it, and that's why they call it a hook. And have you ever listened to a, a song? And I'm going to say song. There, by the way, we can we can clarify this. I've seen this as a discussion. I grew up saying, "Oh, Beethoven, I played that song." No, it's a piece. A piece. This is something you play. A song is something you sing. Now, this could be debatable, and I know that there are people that roll their eyes and go, "Oh, don't be such a purist." Well. I think you know by now I am no purist. <laughs> what? But <laughs> I do like the differentiation between the song and a piece. I do like that because it helps me to perceive, well, what am I going to listen to? Okay. So I'm no purist, but I do like that clarity. Anyway, I say to the student, have you ever heard a song and you say, that's my song? Well, why is it yours? It's because you heard it. You remember it. You recognize it. It feels good to your ear. And what is it about that that usually not always, but usually is the key? It's because it's an easy thing to remember. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, somewhere over the rainbow is a hard melody. But if I go, if you play a game and you go, okay, what's this tune? Have you ever played uh, what's this tune with mm-hmm. the students? Mm-hmm. And you play one note, then two notes, then three notes until they memorize it, right? Mm-hmm. If I go, what's this piece? I'll go, ba, 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 and they'll go jingle bells. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, bum, ba, somewhere over the rainbow. So, and I've seen adults play this game, Samantha Coates mm-hmm. at one of the conferences together at a party. And they did this with classical pieces. And I just sat in the corner completely blown away and overwhelmed 
because they could play this major sonata, but they played three notes and everybody would jump up and they would know what it was. Oh, oh wow. man. Yeah. But anyway, what is it that makes it familiar? It's repetition. Okay. And that, and I want to say that everything that I'm saying is only just, you know, what I'm using. And it doesn't mean that anything is cast in stone, but it's a start, mm-hmm. you know, repeat, repeat it on a different pitch. And the pieces that are in the book, Crossing the Distance, are almost 100% pattern-based. And of course, you know, you've got so many pieces right now, so many books that are figuring out the value of that type of learning. And uh, as a songwriter, I've done that, you know, growing up with Elton John, Mamie Grant, and Carol King, and James Taylor, um, Eric Garfunkel, uh, that pattern and recognizability is what's going to help them remember their melody. So I encourage that. What's interesting is that students want and, and think that they need to have something so interesting all the time. And so you've just underlined the importance of repetition. And when it starts getting old, that's when you change it. But we like to hear good things again and again. So you've underscored what I try and tell my students as well, is repetition is good. And the other thing I was thinking about is that usually at the beginning in the fall, I default to pattern pieces. That's what I call it with my students, is that we're just looking at patterns. You know, We're just going to have fun. And I usually teach them by rote because it's easier. And then they can look at the bigger picture and, and read it as well. But yeah, thank you for underscoring the importance of patterns. I, I do think that those are so pleasing to the ear and to the hands. And again, they can walk out the door saying, I can do this. Easy sounds hard. And mm-hmm, that's probably, mm-hmm. you know, something that I think it was uh, Glenda Austin or Mona Ravino that said that. And um, maybe they weren't the first person to say that, but I use it all the time. I just say, let's make something that sounds hard, but that's easy to play. And it feels so powerful for them to walk out. I like the word accessible. I'll I'll often use that word with my students. Like this is accessible, meaning no one needs to know that it's really not all that hard and it sounds great. And, you know, they buy it then too. And that, I think that is the key. Mm -hmm. So do you... do you do something different with a composition versus writing a song? Because in some ways, I I feel like composing is kind of like songwriting in a way, because I want it to have strong structure, somewhat like a verse and a chorus, a section A and a section B. So is there is there differences in how you compose versus write a song? I'm pretty simple. You know, I, I think if uh, um, my book, Alaska Sketches, Um, piano solos if you look through the pieces in that book they they do follow a songwriter form Mm. even though they're classically influenced uh, there's definitely the effect of the songwriter ABA ABACA you know um, only using the uh, classical background that I have and applying it to the writing and they're all very melodic we won't tell anybody (laughs) You know, because that's the thing. I when people diss pop music, I'm thinking, you know, these people know what they're doing because they can write a really strong, a strong piece from beginning to end, a song that stays together so well. Why not copy what they're doing and and be influenced by what they're doing? Yeah, well, you know, I I when I say I I just said classical background. You know, funny you, you ever say something it comes out and you go, wait a minute, it's always that. <laughs> yeah, because 
remember, I grew up with a hymn player. I know. I grew up playing and classical music, you know, but throughout the majority of my teenage years, from the time I was 13 to 17, I didn't have a classical teacher. I had songwriting teachers, you know, so, but yeah, using the form, it, and I think that there are teachers that can take it way beyond there. And I have had the most wonderful Zoom conferences uh, with piano teachers that have wanted me to speak to their students about composing. And I listen to these pieces that these kids are writing and they are beyond what my students write and um, the form. And it's just astounding, but there's so much more and there's no comparison. Never mm -hmm. underestimate the power of simplicity ever. Mm -hmm. It is so important. Um, but I'll hear these pieces and realize that in these conversations I have with these students whose form is far more extensive than mine is that it's much more even than just the form um, of the complicated um, notion of the music. It's what is behind it, the heart behind it and the psychology behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I remember speaking to a young woman and I hope this isn't getting off track, but I remember just uh, recently in a Zoom meeting I had with a teacher and she wanted her two young women students to speak with me. And because I was a female composer and um, they were both phenomenal pianists, they were wonderful. And this one student looked at me and she said, um, I really want to be a composer. And I said, you really are a composer. You already are. Mm -hmm. And it was it dawned on me that even the simplest concepts sometimes behind what we're doing are forgotten mm -hmm. that you think, Oh, well, everybody knows they already are. You know, when we're five years old, how many of you are composers? Yeah. How many <laughs> of you are dancers? Hand raised. How many artists you ask a bunch of 10 year olds and maybe a few by the time they're 15, no one will raise their hand. Mm -hmm. For some reason, this is, you know, maybe they're, they're more self-conscious or they're really not sure or the self-doubt, which comes with being mm -hmm. a teenager. Mm -hmm. And to realize that you're an artist, mm. you are a composer, you know, don't ever be afraid to fail. Um, there's a group called Aerosmith, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. And they would have weekly meetings. And in the weekly meeting, one of their themes was don't be afraid to suck. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, you know, in this format, maybe that's a, you know, whether our audience, maybe that's a, a crude way of saying it, but I love it because, you know, I think Lily, you know, that I'm an artist, but my art, it, they're just little cartoons. They're little stick figures, but I put them out there and people laugh and people go, Oh my gosh, you, you said exactly what I was thinking or my photography, which is, really sometimes exceptional, but I'll confess to you right now in front of your audience uh -huh. that for all these years, I've been shooting my photos on automatic. <laughs> and it wasn't until two weeks ago that I took a photography class and now I'm, you know, learning how to use all of, all of the settings, but oh, I wasn't wait a minute. afraid to stop. So you're just legitimate now. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just, maybe I'm going to be a photographer one day. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, yeah. thank you for uh, saying the Aerosmith phrase, because I'm going to be using that, is that <laughs> the so much fear, number one, is part of playing an instrument. And, you know, when we get over that, then 
then we're not just teaching piano. We're not just learning piano. We're learning how to become a performer, but even more than that, an artist, a musician. So thank you for reminding us that really we're not teaching piano lessons. We are teaching music lessons, and we're not teaching just a student, but an artist in residence. <laughs> an artist in residence. And, and I do... Uh, I, I never thought about this, but I had one of the administrators of the city came up to me one day, it was a few years ago. And um, I've never said this out loud, because and I might even regret it just because it sounds like humble bragging, but um, she came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. This is someone I didn't even know very well, but it was a, a city administrator. And she said, you teach self-esteem mm. to young mm-hmm. women. And it, it, I'll never forget the confusion I felt because it never dawned on me that I was teaching self-esteem. And, um, but that when, when they come into our studio, um, we do have to instill the value of hard work. We do have to instill the value of listening and respect, but very few of us will hit our students on the hand with a ruler anymore. Thank goodness. Or, you know, I always have Kleenex on the piano because there were tears in my studio and there was always tears in my own when I was a student. But uh, over the past 15 years, I, um, I have that Kleenex there, but it's gathering dust because um, just because of the way the world is and because of, you know, we're so isolated, I can't, I can't, I have to coddle them. A little. I have to be careful about this, you know, but um, it's maybe it's a sacrifice in, I don't have a, a student who's going to win a music scholarship right now, but I want them to, if, if they want to push themselves that hard, then they're going to do that, but they're not going to come into my studio and have me um, say, um, that they're not matching up. Mm. I'll say, wow, this was a hard week for you. You didn't do what you wanted to. You didn't fulfill your own expectations. Well, what was it then? What was the whole? What, what, what did we miss? Maybe there's something in our lesson that you didn't quite understand. Let's figure this out. Let's figure out a way for you to get home so that you go home and go, I think I have this. <laughs> and I have always told them, my phone is on all the time. Now, teachers will oh. go, oh my God, don't do that, right? <laughs> well, the thing is, I always, yeah, I always tell them, um, if I'm busy, I won't answer. So you can't possibly bother me. Right, right. You know, uh, but <laughs> I only have one or two students that will ever call and say, I don't understand measure 56, you know, and you're in the middle of, you know, gardening or something. <laughs> measure 56, let me think. <laughs> Which one is that? But um, yeah, I think that... Um, enabling them to um, discover what, well, how powerful do you want to be? That's going to be up to you. It's not up to me. It, it I, can't, I, I, I don't yeah. think that's humble bragging. I think she just figured you out is you see your students, a friend of mine were, and I were talking about how seeing your students for who they are is probably the most important thing that we can offer them when they're sitting on our bench. And they may not come prepared like they want to. And there's usually a reason why. And the minute we find out that reason, we connect with them and then we can move forward. Like, okay, let, let's go for it. Let's figure out what we can do next then to make, to make progress where you want to be. Well, I think wouldn't you agree that that's probably our best teaching moments as a student is mm-hmm. when our teacher would say, well, then let's figure that out. Mm-hmm. Okay. You didn't meet that goal. 
Let's find out why. It's interesting. I have an adult Asian student who, when she doesn't get something and it's it's hard for her, she struggles. She said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I give her a new way to approach things. And then finally I said to her, do not apologize for not getting something. It is on me to help you make sure that you can get this. This is not on you. But she also has explained in her culture where she comes from, where she's expected to do as well as she can right away. So um, I was just struck by the fact that she was apologizing because something was hard for her. Man, you know, and that's where it really comes to our flexibility. And it is essential that we are flexible. And you and I are both in these piano groups. And and I see a lot lot of rigidity. And, you know, you can only assume so much from a very small clip of somebody making one comment, and you can't judge their entire life or their, you know, they could be just saying one part of of their philosophy. But um, everyone is so different. And I have one that will absolutely thrive in the method books. And then she will thrive when she graduates, you know, into out of the method. I only go to like level three or four, and then we go into the, you know, repertoire. But uh, I have others that their eyes will completely glaze over. And to realize that, excuse me, that they're both, they're both absolutely completely full of potential. Mm -hmm. And I, I was not a student that would probably have thrived with a strict classical or, or even, you know, with any kind of rigid, you know, I, I don't care if it was only hymns or only classical. I, I would not have thrived if the teacher didn't understand how goofy I was or mm-hmm. how um, didn't love me for who I was. And because I was kind of an, you know, a, a child that I don't like to use acronyms, but let's just say that I was a child that had a focus on many different things at the same time. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. And I'm an adult that has a focus on many of the same <laughs> of different things at the same time. And it's very difficult for me to streamline those things, mm-hmm. um, to, to focus on one thing at a time. But, um, but that can apply very beautifully to teaching and to, um, it's actually an adv- it's an advantage when we have a student that um, that we have to use a different part of our brain to teach. Well, Linda, you have shared so much, and you have also shared your love for piano teaching and for your piano students and for your community there in on Alaska. I love that. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about your Hearts and Hands project so that we can also maybe participate if at all possible. It sounds like you have a foundation there. Oh, uh, the Hearts and Hands project was established, I believe, in 19, 2009. And uh, it was originally established so that we could have some kind of a, a financial backing to uh, complete some of the projects that I wanted to do with the kids here. I wanted to record a CD and we don't do that anymore. We don't record CDs. And so we we need to transition into recording digitally, which we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was an expensive project. It cost a few thousand dollars. And two of the parents that I had suggested that we start a 501c3 and get donations uh, to complete this project. And the Hearts and Hands project was born. The board of directors was made up of a few of the parents and community members. And we had enough money that we could afford to bring in performers from um, in Portland. 
and they would come and do concerts for their community uh, and workshops with our students. So the uh, just getting a band to come in and play for our community, for example, the general budget would be around uh, probably, let me think, a trio would probably cost around $8,000 mm-hmm. or a band. It's expensive. Anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand per ticket per musician, plus the honorarium on top of that, plus the hotel, plus providing you know a certain um, per diem, it gets really expensive. Mm-hmm. So we established the foundation so that we could afford to do that, and we brought up some really great musicians. It's been a couple of years since we've done it. Um, the city of Alaska teamed up with us for the last two concerts. Because it was, it's pretty expensive, and we have kind of slowed down because we didn't record CDs anymore. And so, what are we going to do? The Hearts and Hands project is still happening. I just filled out my 990. Um, so, uh, but um, the city has teamed up with us, and we brought in a wonderful singer songwriter from New, I think, New Jersey, John Beecher, um, who came in and absolutely fell in love with our community with the people and wrote a song with the kids and mm. uh just phenomenal experience for the kids and wow the year before that we had jeremy siskind come up oh fine and and jeremy came up with nancy harms and keith hall an incredible incredible experience um bringing them up um and he did a three-day workshop on jazz now, if you think about our community and how widespread we are, we're not a jazz community. We don't have jazz clubs. <laughs> so uh, his workshops, you know, Jer- Jeremy could describe paint drying and make you interested. <laughs> if you've ever watched him in any of his, his, his uh, presentations, he's so enigmatic and, and, and charismatic, I'm sorry. And um, I had someone approach me and say, you know, I've always hated jazz, but now I get it. <laughs> so hearts and hands project has offered those opportunities to our community and when times get a little bit lean the city has teamed up with us which has nice. been um yeah so that's that's what hearts and hands project is it's a 501c3 oh oh yes. i want to say that um you know times are really really hard and there have been times when students can't afford tuition and i had a student who lost his father I may have mentioned we don't have a hospital mm-hmm. and it was tragic. Mm-hmm. And I went over to their house the next day, took them a fish pie. Cause that's what I do. It's a traditional dish here. And I, that's what I do when someone passes, I take them a fish pie. Mm-hmm. And she said, Alex is in the back. He needs to see you. Mm-hmm. So I went in the back and here's this little boy sitting on the floor, playing a video game in the dark. And I just sat there in the dark with him and after a bit, just watching him play in, in the dark and the quiet, I said, so how you doing? He says, not great. And I said, is there anything I can do? He said, when can I start piano lessons again? Mm. He had just lost his dad. He was 12 years old. And I said, you can start anytime and you can have piano lessons as long as you want. Mm. And that's when we started the Emil Barakoff Foundation. And Emil Barakoff was his dad. And I... The family needed to move off the island because it's a very hard place to live, especially if now the breadwinner is gone. 
And I found him the most amazing piano teacher online. It was someone that I'd seen in the piano teacher groups. And um, I thought, gosh, her, her, her profile picture looks a lot like the area where Alex is moving. And so I wrote to her, turned out she was in the same city and her name was Deborah Rambo Sin. Oh, and so Deborah taught him piano lessons until he was a teenager and moved on. But Hearts and Hands Project paid for his piano lessons until he was ready to be done. And I, another student of mine just this year lost her dad. He was a, one of the famous fishermen on the deadliest catch. And um, he just passed away. A young man died in December. And I called his mom or called the girl's mom. And I said, she has piano lessons for free mm-hmm. on scholarship as long as she wants them. The Hearts and Hands Project is covering that. And so Hearts and Hands Project pays me their tuition. And yeah. so uh, another opportunity where the, the mother just lost her job and she was a single mom and, and I covered her piano tuition until she got on her feet again. So um, that has been a really, if there's anything, the CDs are great. Although the Jeremy Siskind and the John Beecher things, that is phenomenal. But being able to cover in the time of worst heartbreak for families to be able to say, I got this. Mm. We got this. Because I, I'd love to say that I can teach for free. A lot of teachers say that they would teach for free. Mm-hmm. Well, I, to an extent, I, I, you know, but what if 10 students need you to teach for free? Because suddenly everybody needs you to teach for free. Right. Because everybody's having a hard time. And wait a minute, you live in an expensive land where it's really costly to go to the lower 48, which now I'm learning that phrase from you, especially when you have to fly in a cargo plane. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing to say to someone. Oh, you can have piano lessons as long as you want. You know, uh, that's a really neat gift. Wow. I don't know of anything. I haven't heard of something like that before in the States, but I know there is something similar. But what a neat, what a neat thing to give your community. Again, I, I can see why your community is in love with you, Linda. Well, I'm in love with them and I think it's reciprocal. Again, I really feel like um, the more we give, the more we receive. And, and and it doesn't mean that we give and announce our gifts. You know, we don't, you know, like the flowers I received on my porch. Part of what makes it amazing is that I don't know who gave them to me. Yes. So neat. Well, it's been, I could say, a pleasure. That seems like an understatement, an underwhelming statement. It's been overwhelmingly wonderful to have you here with me. And I want to close off with one question. So I hope you're ready for it. Uh, I would love to hear one teaching tip, one key idea to go that teachers could take away with them the minute they leave this episode and use it in their next lesson. Now, that's a lot of pressure, but do you have something off the top of your head that you could share? Spark joy. What is it in you that created that spark and your love for teaching? And understand that part of the adventure of teaching your students is to find out how to open the door to them finding their spark. Mm. Nice, nice. So looking inward before you step into the next lesson. And remember that joy that we had years and years ago, especially when people are maybe dreading the next 10 lessons ahead of them, reminding yourself of what 
what brought you here in the first place. Mm, I like that. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, following following a method is wonderful. Having a structure is wonderful, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that what you have to offer uniquely is is beautiful and is going to touch somebody's life. Nice. Linda, we will have all the links of all the things that you've been talking about in the show notes. Thanks again, uh, more than thank you. We're extremely grateful to be in the presence of a super, a superwoman from way up, way up north in the land of Unalaska. Mm. Such a neat time with you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much, Leela. It was so great to be here. A huge shout out to Linda for sharing her story so we can all benefit from her journey into the Arctic frontier. I'm not sure anyone gets better seats to view the massive and beloved whales of our ocean than Linda. And she seems to have her camera ready at the right time to grab jaw-dropping photos of the enchanting northern islands she calls home. Please make sure to head to the show notes to learn more about Linda and find links to her work. This is Leela Viss, and I'll see you in the trenches.